Well, good evening. It's so good to be here with you again tonight. And uh, I don't know, it's green on my side. So, all right, are we on? Are we good? All right. Well, it's so good to be here with you tonight, and uh, it's been good for our family to be able to be here in Midland. You know, I'll be honest, uh, before we came to Midland, everyone we told that we were coming to Midland, uh, they said, uh, yeah, that's in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing there. <laughs> the only thing you'll see is uh, oil rigs, oil pumps, and that's it. And, uh, but uh, Midland has pleasantly surprised us, and we've enjoyed our stay here. And uh, definitely appreciate it, uh, appreciative of you folks and all that you've done for us since we've been here. And it's just been a wonderful time here, so I want to say thank you for that and uh, thankful for your pastor and his family. And uh, thankful once again for the opportunity to be able to preach tonight. And uh, I don't take this lightly, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given me this opportunity. And uh, I hope that uh, it's not my plan tonight to preach long. I, I try to preach short. In fact, I had a teacher in Bible college, he, uh, he told us this, he said, I, I've tried to live by this policy, but he said, I've never heard a bad short message. And uh, you could fill in the rest after that. So uh, I'm going to try to live up to that this evening, no promises, but uh, I don't have intentions of preaching for hours tonight, but uh, we'll just see how it goes. But if you have your Bibles this evening, let's go ahead and take them to the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter number one. And uh, we're going to direct our attention, really kind of do an overview of the first 17 verses this evening. And uh, I'd like to make application this evening, and especially bearing uh, because it's family, uh, family month and uh, each Tuesday has been set aside to do some specific things dealing with the family. Uh, I'm going to try to use this passage then make application specifically to, to you as a family unit. Because uh, we know that churches are made up of individuals, but individuals are also family units. And uh, Part of God's plan and purpose for the church, and if the church is going to function the way it needs to function, then those family units within the church also need to function the way God would have them to function. And uh, so I hope it'll be a blessing to you tonight and it'll be an encouragement to you tonight. So if you find your place there, look down in uh, Romans chapter number one. And uh, we're just going to read a few verses tonight for time's sake. And we're going to jump all the way up to verse 14. And as I said, it's a familiar portion of scripture here. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says this. I am debtor. If you would, yes, please stand with me. The reading God's word. Verse 14, it says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is... I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of, power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Tonight, for the next, little, uh, next few moments, I'd like to preach to you on this idea that the just shall live by faith. And here in this context, we'll see it's uh, even greater understanding, greater meaning what he means by this. But another way we could phrase it is this, that just because something is good, it doesn't mean it's right. Just because something is good, it doesn't mean it's right. So let's go before the Lord. We'll ask his blessing upon this time tonight, and then we'll get right into the message. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for tonight. Thankful for each person, Lord, that they've 
set aside time out of their evening, Lord, to be faithful to your house, to be able to come together with brother and sisters in Christ and to fellowship together. And Lord, we're excited about the evening that we're going to spend together here, Lord, in your word. But then beyond that, as we make our way over to the fellowship hall and we have a time of fellowship, Lord, that's important for the local church body to fellowship together and spend that time together. So, Father, we ask your blessings upon each aspect of it tonight. Lord, as we have this very important part of the service, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, we need to hear from you tonight. So, Father, I pray you'd speak through me tonight and it would challenge the hearts of each person here this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Romans, the book of Romans, it's a very interesting book, and we know the writer of the book of Romans was the Apostle Paul. But... You may have known this, or maybe you didn't under realize this, but the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this epistle to the believers there that would be in Rome, predominantly made up of Jews that are located in Rome, that at this point, as he's writing this letter to them, he's not yet had the opportunity to actually meet them personally. So in essence, he's writing to complete strangers, people that maybe he's, in fact, we'll see this later on, he's heard about some of these Christians, he's heard about what God is doing in their midst. And uh, so there's, there's this idea that the testimony of their faith and their faithfulness to Christ has, has traveled abroad from where they're at in Rome. And the Apostle Paul, no doubt, as he's traveled there within Macedonia and, and, and the parts that he's traveled in, he's heard time and time again about the, the faithfulness of these people and the faith of these Christians there in Rome. But as the Apostle Paul, as he's getting ready to write this letter and as he's writing this letter to them, that uh, really they, they may, I'm sure they've heard of the Apostle Paul, but they've not had the opportunity to meet him yet. And perhaps there'd be some people that would be reading this epistle that uh, Paul wrote to them. Maybe they wouldn't know who the Apostle Paul is. And maybe they hadn't really heard much of the Apostle Paul. And so uh, as we look at this epistle, that really the first seven verses of this chapter, this is the Apostle Paul uh, more or less stating by whose authority he, he has this right to instruct these Christians in the way they ought to go. You can imagine if someone that you had no clue who they were just out of the blue wrote you a letter and told you, listen, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, you need to do that, and you need to do that. You'd probably take a look at that letter and say, well, who is this? And if it wasn't something that I had a th someone that would have authority to speak on what they were speaking and directing you to do what, uh, what they were directing you to do, you'd probably take a look at that letter and say, oh, who cares about this? And just chuck it out and chuck it into the trash. So here the Apostle Paul, as he's uh, beginning, really the beginning stages of this epistle, that really he does so much of defending the gospel and presenting the gospel to them and helping these Jewish believers understand that no longer are they bound by the law, but now there's this, uh, this aspect of freedom, this aspect of grace that they live in Christ, that they're secure in this grace, and that no longer should they be entangled with the law, but rather that they ought to be living for God because of the grace that they've experienced in their lives. So really the, the book of Romans is really a, an ex deep expounding on what true salvation is. And so as we see in this passage, as he's leading up to this to give this instruction, to give this doctrinal aspect of salvation, he literally is first seven verses saying, listen, 
this is who I am and this is why I have the authority to say what I'm saying and this is why you should listen to me and what I'm saying. So look, notice this when he says in verse number one, as he goes through this, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, he's, he's pointing out to them, listen, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but not just a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a servant. Or uh, the, the word here that, w- that this ser- word was translated from was doulos, meaning I'm a, I'm a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is pointing out his indebtedness to live a life dedicated to serving and honoring Jesus Christ with his life because of the grace he's experienced in his life. So he's pointing out his indebtedness that as a servant or as a slave that he has this responsibility that just as before he was saved that he was not his own. He belonged to sin and and sin had such a stronghold in his life. But now that he was a slave to sin, but now that he has been redeemed, now that he is a new creature created in Christ Jesus, he is a servant to serve Jesus Christ, the one that redeemed him. So first and foremost, he's pointing out that Jesus Christ, as we see here, that he is, a, he, he is a servant of Jesus Christ and that he was called to be an apostle and then that specifically he was separated unto the gospel of God. Now, if you're here on Sunday night that you would remember specifically as we were preaching through Acts chapter 9 and we we read about the conversion of Paul and the work that God did in his life. And so this is, uh, in essence, in a very uh, condensed form, the Apostle Paul is rehashing the the conversion that has taken place in his life and this change that has taken place. And he's demonstrating what he's done. In verse 2, he says, which he had promised afore by his Prophets in the Holy Scripture, notice verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So these three verses, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4, what it is is the Apostle Paul, he has demonstrated, listen, that I have this apostleship that has been given to me by Christ Jesus, that I've been called to preach the gospel, but ultimately he says, my authority that I have to proclaim these truths to you, it's not based upon authority that that I possess in and of myself. But this authority that I have to you to speak to you on these matters is because the authority that has been given to me by Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus indeed is the one that has the true authority to be able to proclaim on these things. To be able to, uh, as we see here in this passage, to give the authority to the Apostle Paul to preach. And to, and to teach and to give instruction on these things. And notice in verse number 5. He says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among nations for his name. So he's saying that as a result of Jesus and what he has done and the calling that he's placed in our lives, he says that we are the recipients of his grace, of God's grace and this apostleship. So that we would be obedient and follow him by faith all the way to the ends of the world and to all these nations so that his name would be proclaimed. 
So in essence, what he's saying is, listen, that I've been a recipient of God's grace in my life, that I was a wicked sinner before. I've experienced this grace now, and God has placed this calling upon my life. And the authority that I possess, it's because Jesus Christ gave me authority, and he has the authority to give me the authority. But in verse 6, then he transitioned, he says, listen, that just as I am a recipient of this grace... And just as I am called to preach and to proclaim the gospel to the nations, notice what he says in verse 6. Among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ. So what he's doing here is saying this, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the calling that Christ has uh, has placed in my life and this has all been made possible and this calling and this, this change, this work in my life has all been as a result of the grace of God in my life. But he says, but listen, you too have experienced this grace. You too are, are, are followers of Jesus Christ. And because you too are followers of Jesus Christ, that we have this common bond or this common love for Christ. Verse 6, he says, among whom you are also called of Jesus, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So briefly, summary, uh, summarizing all this up, that as Paul shifts from taking, talking about his credentials and, and his authority by which he speaks, and, what he, uh, and he, as he summarizes this all up, we see specifically this. Then he shifts from his credentials and what he has been called to do, that now he says this, you too are called to live a life unto the Lord. Notice in verse number 8, he says this. This is his, the beginning of a, another transition into now that he's concluded uh, this sharing of his heart. He's about to share his heart and his vision, his burden for these Christians. And that throughout the book of Romans that there are many things that Paul is burdened about these Christians. And, and really the, the potential that some among them that are saying after salvation, he's saying, listen, that as he's instructed them and shared with them by whose authority he's speaking, now he's getting to, listen, this is my introduction as to what my purpose and point is in this book, in this letter that I'm writing to you. And so starting in verse 8 and then in verse 9, notice what he says. I thank my God through Jesus Christ that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now ask yourself this question, is this a good thing, yes or no? It's a very good thing. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I thank God that the testimony of your faith, that as you've demonstrated your faith, as you're living out your faith through your life to those that are around you, that this is a true testament that what you have is legitimate, what the faith that you possess, it is real faith. Why? Because it is revolved into an action. An action that all those that are around you, they see this, this change, they see this way of life that is affecting them, that is causing them to live differently, that people see and notice this difference. And this difference wasn't just visible there, but that the testimony of this change, the testimony of this lifestyle living by faith had traveled abroad. 
So that as, as Paul was traveling in Macedonia and preaching the gospel in all those different areas, and as he would interact with people from Rome, time and time again, he would hear of the Christians that were in Rome that they were the legitimate deal. They were the real deal. Which I believe is, is it's huge here as the Apostle Paul is commending them for this. Because I can, I can assure you that nowadays there's, there's a lot of places and a lot of Christians that if you were to ask the unbelievers in those communities about a specific church, they would say, yeah, don't go there. They're a bunch of phonies. But that wasn't the case about this church. That wasn't the case about these believers. They were the real deal. And so then he goes on into verse 9. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he's saying that as I've seen this and heard of this faithfulness that you have toward God. And that your faith is real. And that you have this desire to live for the Lord. He says that quite frequently that as I remember, as I have opportunity to, that I am partnering together with you and and praying for you and and praying that God would bless you and mature you and and grow you spiritually and grow you in this spiritual maturity. He says that I'm praying for you in this way. But he doesn't just stop there. In verse, uh, verse 10, he says this, that in these prayers, that as I'm praying, he says, I'm making requests... And if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So notice his desire. He's making this known to them. He's making known to them his desire that he wants to visit them and travel to Rome and to be able to speak with them and to be able to teach them and encourage them and that as they would come together that there would be this uh, mutual benefit of them coming together and encouraging each other. Because no doubt when Christians come together that if, if, if they're legitimate Christians and they share this common bond of love for Christ, then the result of them coming together in fellowship, it's going to be an encouragement to both parties. And so he says, I have this desire and I'm praying and seeking God and I'm begging God and saying, God, allow me to go to Rome so that I can fellowship with these Christians. But he also says this, notice in that very same verse, he says, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So he's saying what leads him and guides him in whether he would go there to Rome was this one thing. Was it God's will or not? It didn't matter what he wanted. He had this desire to go to Rome. He had this desire to fellowship with them and to encourage them to impart his spiritual understanding and knowledge with them. And it was a good thing that he wanted. But just because it was a good thing, that wasn't sufficient for him. Because what the Apostle Paul is trying to point out is this. Listen, that as, as, I, as I follow Christ and I seek to live in the will of God, that it's important for me, as we'll see later on, he says it's important for me to live by faith. And if I'm going to live by faith, then I ought to be seeking what God's will is for my life. 
and that living out God's will for my life and what I do, that right there is living by faith. So in verse number 11, that as he's filtering these desires through what does God want, notice in verse 11 he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gifts, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both of you and me. So he's saying, it would be mutually beneficial for us to come together. It would be mutually beneficial for me to come to Rome and that I can impart these spiritual gifts to you and that we can be refreshed together and we can be comforted together that through our mutual faith, our mutual love for Christ, that we would be driven to do more for the cause of Christ. You know, you look at this and you think, man, this is awesome. Why not? Why not, Apostle Paul, go to Rome and, and spend some time there, be refreshed with them, encourage them, and see some spiritual growth and spiritual fruit that would uh, be produced there as a result of him going there? No, Apostle Paul is saying no. What is God's will? What does God want? Doesn't matter what. I want, but what does God want? And so then as he continues on, he says in verse 13, notice what he says here. He says, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you. But was let hitherto that I may have some fruit among you. Also, even as among other Gentiles. So he's saying, listen, there have been Times that I, I, I've sought to come to you. I, I begin to make the plans. And I begin to try to orchestrate it so that I can go there and spend some time with you. Yet God keeps on saying, no. Not right now. Now's not the time. You're not going to go. And you could perhaps see with this idea that it'd be very easy to become frustrated and irritated in this idea that, God, this is such a good thing. Why can't I go? But the Apostle Paul, as he brings forth here, starting in verse number 14, he says this. This is the reason why God has not allowed me to go. He says, because the burden and the calling God has placed, especially in my heart, was... To go and preach the gospel to who? The Gentiles. And so that as God has called him and as he's been busy preaching the gospel there to the, to the Gentiles and, and, and there in Macedonia, he says this, listen, that this is the focal point of why I do what I do. Notice verse 14. I am debtor. Both to the Greeks... And to the barbarians, to the wise, and to the unwise. Notice the stark contrast he is drawing here between these saying, listen, God has called me to preach the gospel to who? The Greeks, being the, the social elites, those that considered themselves to be of, of high social stature, that they were the ones that they knew everything, they were the scholars, they were the ones that, they were the, touched of everything. But he says, God has called me to preach the gospel to them. 
But not only them, but also the barbarians. Those that would not be considered the social elites. The ones that we would look at their lifestyle and say, wow, that is so barbaric. That is so caveman era of a lifestyle. Yet the Apostle Paul is saying, God has called me to this group and to this group. But he's drawing this stark contrast, not to say that only them and only them, but in essence what he's saying, that it doesn't matter who the individual is. It doesn't matter uh, what stature, what social economic stature that they would have. But God has called me specifically to these people to go forth and to preach the gospel, whether it be the Greeks, whether it be the barbarians, whether it be the wise individuals or the unwise. God has placed this burden and God has placed this calling in my life that I ought to be about preaching the gospel. So then in verse 15 he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. He says, within me I am capable, I am ready. I I would love this opportunity to preach to you there in Rome. But God hasn't allowed me yet. Because God's will for me is that I go forth and preach the gospel to those that have not heard the gospel. And then in 16, verse 16, he says this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. In essence, he's saying, he says, I have nothing to be ashamed of in preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is the very power of God that has saved me and every person that believes it. And if that very same power is what brought me to repentance and brought me to salvation, why would I ever be ashamed? And because I'm not ashamed of it, I I feel this calling of God, this burden that God has placed on my heart to go forth and preach the gospel and reach those that have never heard. He says, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready to go and preach this gospel, the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in verse 17, he kind of summarizes it up this way. He says... For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God. Remember on Sunday morning we talked about what is the righteousness of God. It's not a character trait of God. But it was God's redeeming plan for mankind and how how man might be made righteous through God. And through his plan to redeem mankind. And so bearing that in mind, he says that righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. See, God's plan and man accepts God's plan and that man becomes a recipient of God's plan of being made righteous in Christ. How is that made possible? It's made possible by faith. That by faith a man humbles his heart. By faith he he bows himself before Christ. He repents of his sin and turns from his ways. And by faith he accepts the finished work of Jesus Christ that was done on the cross to pay his sin debt and and the penalty for his sin. It's done by faith. By faith man has salvation. But he says from faith to faith. 
See, faith is the element that is necessary so that man might be made righteous. But once he's been made righteous, it ought to drive him then to live a life of faith. So it takes faith to become righteous in the sight of God. To be able to be a recipient of God's redeeming grace. And now having experienced that grace and being a recipient of God's grace in his life. He says that ought to motivate and move an individual to live by faith. And then he says this. Notice he summarized it right at the very end. He says, as it is written, the just. Who is the just? The justified in Christ. Those that have been made righteous, those that are the recipients of God's grace in their life. He says, the just shall live by faith. So, why had the Apostle Paul not gone to Rome? Why had he not gone and done something that was his desire? Why had he not gone to Rome and and had that time of fellowship with them? Because he recognized the responsibility that as a recipient of grace, he recognized the responsibility as a Christian to live according to the will of God. That just because something that he wanted was good did not necessarily mean that it was right. Well, let me ask you this question then this evening. If the Apostle Paul is stating here that the just shall live by faith, meaning the justified in Christ, they have a responsibility to live by faith or to live according to the will of God rather than their own desires and their own ambitions. Is this truth applicable to us tonight? This idea that we as Christians have a responsibility to not to live out to our own pleasures and our own desires, but if we are justified in Christ, we have a responsibility to live by faith or to live according to the will of God. Yes, absolutely we do. So let's let's bring it even closer to home this evening. As we think about family and and as I mentioned earlier, as we think about really churches made up of families and it's important that that the family structures within the church, that they are functioning the way that God would have them to function so that the church can do what God wants the church to do. So then in each family, is it important then that each family chooses not what is good or what seems good, but is it important for each family to choose To live according to what does God want? What does God want for us? You know, the day and age we live in today, there are so many distractions that we encounter. There are so many things that distract us and take us away from what God truly wants for us. You know, there may be a day come in your life and maybe wherever you work, whether your place of employment that you work at, that they may present you with a, uh, some sort of promotion that you'll make considerably more money and you'll be doing so much better financially and it will seem like your, your family will be so much better off. But 
The downside to that is now all of a sudden you're going to have to work every Wednesday night or Tuesday night. And there may be times when uh, on Sunday nights that you're going to have to be gone too because in order for you to get the job site Monday morning when you're supposed to be there, you'll have to leave Sunday night. And, and because of that, this job promotion, it seems good. You'll be able to take care of your family better. But ultimately, is it what God wants? Is it something that's going to help you live your life as a justified individual in Christ? Is it going to help you live a life lived by faith? Live a life that is according to the will of God? What about children's sports? You know, I know that here in the Texas area, sports are a big deal, aren't they? And I'm not saying sports are bad. I like sports. But there may come a day when you have to uh, make a decision that your children may be playing sports. They may play, be playing some sort of uh, baseball or whatever it be, flag football, whatever, whatever organized sport it is. And there may come a day that you may have to choose are my, kid, are my kids going to continue to play these organized sports? And meaning they're going to be missing service after service after service because all their games are on Sundays? Or I, am I going to do what's right for my family before the sight of God? And am I going to have my family be faithful to God's house so that they can grow in Christ and they can learn what it means to live by faith and to live in the will of God? See, as a family unit, the most important thing for us as justified believers in Christ is that we live by faith. So ask yourself this question this evening. The way I live, the way I'm living right now, Am I living that way because it's good, because it's what I want to do? What, the ambitions that I have, this is what I want to do? Or is it really what God wants me to do? Because if you are living and doing what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do, then can I tell you tonight, Christian, you're not living by faith. You're not living according to the will of God. And the Apostle Paul says very simply, the just shall live by faith. Meaning, it's what's expected. It's what's normal. It means that it's what we just ought to do because Jesus Christ paid our sin debt. He redeemed us. He justified us. We have our eternity secure in Him. So the very reasonable thing for us would be, as the Apostle states later on in chapter 12, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto him. That we, as a justified individual, that we choose to live our life, a life of faith. A life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's right. Would you allow everything you do, everything that you allow yourself to be involved in, would you allow yourself to put it through this filter? Is this what I want? 
Or is this what God wants? And you know what? Sometimes God says, listen, the very same thing that you want, that's what I want. And he gives it to you. Sometimes we have this idea that the Christian life is all about, this is what I want and this is what God wants, and so I always have to give up what I want and do what God wants. That's not always the case. Sometimes God does give us exactly what we want, and that's great. But you know what? I've learned this, that when God gives me something that I want, even though it's not his will, all of a sudden at some point I realize I don't really want it anymore. But when I am obedient to him and do his will rather than what I want, I learn to really enjoy what his will is. And then I look back and I say, I can't even imagine to think that I used to want that. So can I tell you, Christian, would you just simply live by faith? Live by faith. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we love you. We thank you.